So with that, I want to introduce Ruth to you because Ruth is a friend of mine and a fellow pastor's wife. She's been, you'll, you'll just want her to keep talking because she's got this amazing English accent. So is it English or British? What's English accent? And uh, you just love to hear her speak. But she's been in the ministry forever because she's a pastor's kid. Her dad was a pastor, and so that's all she knows. And she married a pastor. So she's been in the ministry for a long, long time. And the Lord is um, working in their lives as well. And she has a story. I could have her come up and share about the ministry, but I'm not going to. Because she has a story very similar to these gals. And I've asked her to come and share a message of courage with you gals tonight. So welcome Ruth Beeler. Oh my, I don't even know how to follow any of that. And I feel like the Lord made every point I had tonight already in the lives of these women. And Testimonies are one of my favorite things to listen to because they are the story of what God does in a person's life. And no one can argue that. No um, atheist can fight you on what God has done in your life. And um, I think we should all be sharing with people what God's doing in our lives. And so it's good to be with you um, tonight. For those of you who don't know me, I'll share a little bit about who I am and where I'm from. Um, I'm from England, born and raised. Um, I'm the youngest of five children. I'm the only girl. I have four older brothers, which poor me, but they were, you know, they spoiled me. What can I say? So it wasn't too bad. (laughs) And then I grew up in a pastor's home. As a teenager, I kind of fell away. I didn't have any Christian friends. And um, the Lord really kind of got a hold of my life when I was about 17 My family moved away from where we were living to plant a carriage chapel in Wales, the country next to England, for those of you that don't know. And there was no carriage chapels there, no Bible teaching churches there. And so we moved, and my dad planted a church. And the Lord knew I needed to be taken out of the place where I was at and um, set in a brand new place. And I spent my last year of high school there. And um, what's another story in and of itself, I ended up at Bible College in California, something I never, ever thought that I would do. And I went to the Marietta Carachapel Bible College at 18. And it was during those two years there that I spent um, that the Lord really transformed my life, transformed my life. And then I went home um, back to Wales to serve in the church there, and I worked as an account manager at a bank. And um, when I was about 23, I believe it was, I would come here every year to vacation. And um, when I was 23, on one of my vacations, I met a man named Gerard Bieler. And um, we kind of hit it off. (laughs) And six months later, we were married. And we are celebrating our 11th anniversary this Saturday. And we've had three children in that time. I have a son, Hudson, who's 10. Ava, who is eight, a daughter Ava, and um, another son, Harrison, who is 18 months. And so I homeschool my older two, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit later about my daughter who has special needs, and it's a life of therapies, and um, 
the likes of that, which I'll share a little bit about. And then we have our church that my husband um, and I uh, left Carachapel Costa Mesa where he was pastoring and we planted a church in Irvine, kind of in the hills where the new kind of homes were being built. And we planted that church almost five years ago now. And so we've been there um, since January 2014. And that's been a journey in and of itself. But that brings me to now, um, where I'm at, just to give you a little bit of a background of who I am and where I am from. But it is so good to be here with you. Um, We love this church, your pastor and and his wife, Michelle. They are just such a blessing to my husband and I, like-minded in the ministry and... We just hear such great things about this church. So it's so great to be here. And as we look at this time, to look at this study on courage, I just can't help but have in my mind these stories that we've just heard of, these tremendous stories of courage. And when I think of these people in the Bible and these people that we've heard today, and I think of these stories of courage, I think, oh my, I'm so far from courageous. That is so not me. And yet when we look and study what courage really is, we really will see how it's for every single one of us that is here tonight with whatever we're going through. And so join with me as we pray and we get into our study tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this incredible time that we've had already, for worshiping you, Lord, for hearing the testimonies of your great grace. Lord, how glorious you are, how merciful you are, how kind you are. How good you are, Lord, in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. Even some of the most difficult things we can't even imagine. Lord, you're always with us. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would teach each and every one of us how to be a woman of courage in the life that we're facing today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So courage. What is courage? Well, Michelle already gave you the dictionary definition of courage being strength in the midst of pain and grief. And we've heard those amazing stories of of these women who have been strong from the Lord, had their strength um, in their pain and in their grief. But what I want to take you through is a little journey through the Bible in the Old New Testament as to a little bit of a, a deeper look at what courage is and what it means. When we look at the New Testaments written in Greek, as I'm sure many of you know, and the, the verb for the word courage in the Greek, and I'll say it phonetically because I do not speak Greek and Hebrew, I'll put that out there right now, because one time I said <laughs> I was actually going to pronounce a, a Hebrew word that I had actually memorized properly, and I was saying it phonetically, and I was just about to say the, the actual way that you say it, because I am so bad with languages, and somebody's like, actually, and they corrected me, and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I knew that one, I didn't know it. So I don't bother anymore. <laughs> so the Greek word um, for courage is tolmeo, which actually means to follow a particular course of action in spite of any natural feeling. Or another way to put it is a definition that I've had written in my Bible for many years, and I read it often, and it's this. Courage isn't moving ahead with the absence of fear. It's moving ahead in spite of of fear. And that takes faith. So being courageous, being courageous is having strength in the midst of difficulty and pain and grief, but it's also to have the ability to press on in this life in spite of your own pain, your own fears, and your own struggles. 
There are two words that we see um, coupled together in the Old Testament. It's a phrase that Michelle has already quoted, and it's that of being strong and of good courage. It's actually found 11 times in the Old Testament, three in Deuteronomy, five times in Joshua, and three times in First Chronicles. And I want to read a few of them to you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. Joshua 1.9, as we've already heard, is this. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. First Chronicles 28.20 says this. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord, your God, my God, he will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And those are admonitions and promises that each one of us here today can claim in our own lives. No matter what situation any of you, I don't know most of you here today, or whatever situation you are facing right at this very minute, you as a woman of God are called to be strong and to be courageous. And I would say many of us don't feel like we could ever say that about ourselves. Like I would never describe myself as strong and courageous. And yet we know that if God calls us to something, he always equips us for that, doesn't he? And so God is saying, I am the one that can make you strong and courageous. Now, when we look in the Old Testament at this, this be strong and courageous admonition, the, the words that are used there, the, the word for strong is spelt chazak. And this particular word, I love the Hebrew language because and the Greek, but it's so much richer and more deep than the English language. In fact, there are one word can be broken down into so many different parts that when you piece it back together, it has this incredible, rich meaning. And this word is one of those words. And this word chazak or strength means strength that comes from binding oneself to something. That's the meaning of the word. And it's not just that, as if that weren't good enough. Binding oneself to something. But a portion of this word actually indicates that the binding process is also a purifying process. That's all contained in that one word, strength, to be strong. And so this simple word isn't just giving us this admonition to be strong, but this word is telling us how we are to be strong. He's saying our strength comes from being bound to him. That's where our strength comes from. So when we bind ourselves to him, and what does that mean? And it means when we have Jesus as the very center of our lives, it affects everything that we do. When we are in his word daily because his word is is the written word of Jesus. It's Jesus in communication. It's Jesus written down. It's how he communicates with us. And so we need to, we bound to him by being in his word daily. And then when we're in his word, when we communicate back to him through prayer and that process of us being bound to him 
is actually a purification process for us in our lives. And in it, we receive the strength that we need to live this life, whether it be in times of triumph and joy or times when we feel defeated or in times of great joy or times of great sorrow. And in so doing, in trusting in the Lord and being bound to him, our lives are being purified, which means we're being made more like Christ. Warren Wearsby writes this, and he says, When it seems as if God is far away, remind yourself that he's near. Nearness is not a matter of geography. God is everywhere. Nearness is likeness. The more we become like the Lord, the nearer he is to us. And maybe today, whatever is going on in your life and you feel like the Lord is just so far from you, Being near to the Lord is to be like him. And that comes from being bound to him in his word and through prayer. You know, the Lord uses, as you've heard, the difficult things in our lives, the struggles. He uses them in our lives to grow us, to mold us, to shape us, to create us into the woman that he wants us to be. Because he has a purpose for each one of us. And so we go through things in life for a reason. And so we're commanded to be strong, to bind ourselves to Christ, but we're also commanded to be of good courage. Now, the Hebrew word for courage is imas. Now, that also means strength, as we've talked about. But this strength is a, the the root meaning of this word is strength in resolution. And I'll explain that to you. What it means is being firm in one's position. Almost specifically, it's expressing this idea that courage comes from humbling yourself to God's word and being resolute in it. Or other words, trusting and standing on the promises of God that are found in his word. That's what courage is. We've already heard about Joshua and um, we read the verse Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the promise given to Joshua. And he had to stand on that promise and trust God at his word in order to go and fight the battle he was called to fight. And that action of him going was the courage that he displayed. And Jericho was the city that he was called to go and fight. And he was this new leader. And um, he was told by the Lord to go and be victorious over the most fortified city in the whole of Canaan, the, the hardest one that no one could penetrate. He was told not to go fight, but to walk around it. To walk around it, and then the next day walk around it, and to do that for seven days. And on the seventh day, to march around it seven times. And blow the trumpets, and then the walls would fall. Now, you've got to imagine, like, the natural man. You've got to think, Lord, are you you joking? Like, is this for real? Like, how does walking lead to walls coming down? Like, they don't correlate. And so much of our lives today, and I feel like where faith, this is the journey that I've 
been going on and learning what faith is because faith is challenged so much because it's our, our common sense overrides it. We think, Lord, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not the way things work. And we limit him and what he wants to do because we put him in our little box of what's logical and what makes sense. But there's a great quote um, that I love from George Mueller that says this, faith doesn't operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. And I feel like that right there is what the Lord has been working in my life and our family's life, trying to teach us how to have faith in spite of what seems impossible because God doesn't work in the realm of the possible and what's humanly possible because he wants the glory for himself. And so Jericho was defeated. The walls came down by Joshua simply doing what it was that God asked him to do. And God showed him and all of Israel and all of the world that with God, the impossible is made possible. And that's the same for you and for me today. And let me ask you, maybe what is the Jericho in your life? What is it that you may think, I need deliverance, Lord, from this? Or I need victory in this? Or this situation is impossible and I don't know how to get out of it. The Lord says, I'm going to give you the strength and the courage and I'm going to show you what it is that I've called you to. But the key is that we must be firmly planted in the word of God. Because that is where we receive that strength that we need in the midst of pain and grief and struggle. We must be so closely bound to him that his strength flows into our lives when we're weak and out of our lives to those around us. And tonight I want to spend the rest of the time mostly sharing with you a story about our lives the past eight years and the path that we have been walking with our daughter. And there's so many struggles in life and there's so many difficulties have come in our path, but this is one area that the Lord is, is still taking us through. I know many times testimonies have, you know, the ending and, and we, for us, our journey is still going, but I want to share with you how God's word has been my lifeline. And if there's anything that I could leave you with today when we're done, it's that you would know that how important and how precious God's word is for you as a Christian. It's through God's word that I have received hope when I felt hopeless. It's through his word that I've had promises that I can stand on when I I am fearful for the future. It's through his word that I get encouraged when I feel discouraged. It's through his word that I feel joy when I am sad. It's God's word that we need to cling to. About eight years ago, uh, my daughter Ava was born. She actually turns eight on Sunday. So it's our anniversary on Saturday and um, she was 
born half an hour past midnight. And everyone said, oh, wouldn't it be great if, if your daughter was born on your anniversary? I'm like, no, like I want to have an anniversary. <laughs> and if she's born on my anniversary, that trumps the anniversary. So the Lord was merciful to me and she was born half an hour past her anniversary. <laughs> so it's her, it's her birthday this Sunday and she's going to turn eight. And our little Ava, oh, oh, look, she's so precious. So our little Ava was born and she came, my son, my first son was horrendous labor and I was freaking out about having Ava and because I, I didn't have epidurals and I was like, oh, I'll try it again without an epidural. I learned by my third baby, it got the epidural. But um, the second time around, I was, you know, like, oh, how am I going to do this? Anyway, she came quick. She was two and a half hours of like pain, obviously, but not like I want to die. Like my son was like, I want to die. If this child was not here, I would end my life. But um, so she started off and, you know, came into this world and she had all her little tests and her APGOS scores and everything. They sent us home with a healthy baby girl. And it was not long after we got home where I realized that this didn't seem like she was a healthy baby girl. And she would cry continuously. And I, I would tell the doctors that she would cry continuously. And they would just say, oh, she's, you know, got colic. And, you know, she'll grow out of it by the time she's four months. And um, I just, something in me, I was like, this doesn't seem like colic. This is different. She would never sleep longer than 10 minutes, ever, for um, years. And um, my mum came out from England, all my family live in Wales and England. And she came out and she said, my mum had five kids. And I would say, mum, I'm just so exhausted. I'm a two-year-old and um, Ava doesn't sleep, like doesn't sleep. And obviously she thought I was exaggerating, like no newborn sleeps, honey, you know. And so she gets out here and she's like, put the baby in my room and, you know, you sleep and I'll just bring her in to be fed. And so I was like, okay, but, you know, she doesn't sleep longer than 10 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she comes in like an hour later. She's like, she will not sleep for longer than 10 minutes. And I said, I know. I said, you would lay her down sound asleep and she would just start crying and crying and crying. Anyway, to kind of make a long story short, um, uh, six months came and the doctor finally listened to me and then they found out that she had severe reflux and so she had like ulcerated esophagus and she was just in agony and then and so we thought that was it and so she went on medication for that and it helped but it, it wasn't it and so Six months came and went and she wasn't sitting up and then she finally would sit up near a one and then um, she wouldn't crawl and then she didn't crawl till she was two and a half and um, she didn't sleep through the night until she was three and a half. And through this whole, these years, we're having all these tests done because the doctors are saying, you know, something's not right. We need to find out what's going on. And she's being prodded and poked and screaming and crying and... Um, she had an MRI, she had um, just every test, genetic mapping, DNA tests, every, everything. And the, everything came up normal, but obviously things weren't normal. Um, she couldn't walk or talk. Um, she just definitely wasn't normal. And so they diagnosed her with what they gave, they call a trash can diagnosis, which they give to children where there is no real diagnosis. And it's called hypertonic cerebral palsy. 
And it's different. I remember seeing those words written down, and apparently they'd been given to her as a diagnosis a whole year before I read them on a piece of paper one day. And no doctor had ever said them to me. And I said, cerebral palsy? And I just broke down. And I, could, I just was fear, every, every emotion you can imagine. And um, I asked the doctor about it. And they basically said that, um, well, we give that to children for a diagnosis. So obviously, something's not connecting with the brain and the body. She didn't have the typical cerebral palsy that you think of where they're stiffened. She was the opposite. She had the hypotonic where she was more loose. And um, she didn't have the muscle tone. And so um, this was gotten to the point where she was about three and a half to four. And it had been a really difficult, difficult, difficult road. And she couldn't go to many places. She would, she would just cry constantly. And it was a hard time. And during that time, I knew the Lord was with me. But there were times where I felt like I described earlier, like, like where is he? Where is the Lord? And I started reading this book um, by Jean McClure, The Trunk. Many of you know Jean. It's one of my favorite people. And um, it's, if you have never read The Trunk, you should absolutely read it. It's like grab a cup of coffee, you can read it in a day. And um, in it, she um, shares a lot of things that have gone on in her life. And she was sharing about how in major difficult seasons in her life, like when her son was born with club feet. And she described that, and it resonated with me because my daughter would have to be in these ankle leg braces, and she hated it. And it was a long story, but it was just heartbreaking for me. And she said one day she was discouraged, and she asked the Lord to send someone to encourage her. And, and in another time when Dawn had her husband had a stroke or when she had breast cancer and how... When she struggled, she would ask the Lord, can you send someone to encourage me? And this one day I was driving home from therapy with my daughter. She would have PT, OT, physical therapy, occupational therapy and speech and just constant therapies. And um, it was a really hard day. And um, she would start to be able to walk holding on, um, but she would be very wide-legged. And so they would try to put this little band around her legs to kind of narrow her stance. And she absolutely hated it. And I just wanted to like pick her up and say, you know, get off my baby, don't touch her. And, but I knew that she needed to have help. And so it's just the constant pulls at your heart. And so I was driving home and I was just utterly discouraged and devastated and fearful and everything. And popped into my mind about Jean's book. And I said, Lord, I was like, I know I'm no Jean McClure. But if you can send someone to her to encourage her, can you send someone to me? I said, I'm really discouraged. And the next day, we had gone, this is a little bit after Ava's fourth birthday, and we hadn't got her a present yet because she has everything. <laughs> she, she, you know, we just try to get everything to make her happy. And so there was just nothing that she really needed or even would take any pleasure in. And so we were going to try and get her a big girl bed because she was still in her crib because we just were having this, what, how do we, she can't sleep in her bed, she would fall off and what are we going to do? So we found this Ikea day bed that we could like manufacture into working out. And so we were going to go get her this bed. And so the next day we go, uh, we were going to go to Ikea, but um, 
my husband had a full day planned and he had this premarital and he called me and he said, um, oh, my premarital call, my premarital got pushed back to tonight. So I have like two or three hours. Do you want to go to Ikea right now? And so I said, okay, sure. So we threw the kids in the car and we went to Ikea. And then um, we found the bed that we wanted and my son was like, oh, I'm starving. And my husband's Swedish. And so he would go, he would say, can I have some Swedish meatballs? And I'd be like, oh, but Ikea, like, oh, that just grosses me out. Like, I'm weird about meat. And so my husband's like, he's a boy and he's Swedish. Give him Swedish meatballs. And so we stopped at Ikea restaurant. And I didn't have anything because I'm weird like that. But um, I thought my daughter was sat in the little shopping cart and um, my son and my husband were just sat right there. And so I thought, I'm not going to get her out because she, she can't walk. And so, and she's was quite, she's four at this point. So I'm just going to leave her where she is and I'll stand right here. And so they got some fries and stuff. And so I'm handing my daughter fries and I'm standing in front of her and we're kind of by the exit. And um, she's just not paying any attention. Like, people are leaving constantly. And she's, you know, just eating her fries like she does. And so the, all of a sudden, like, I'm just standing right there in front of her. All of a sudden, she stops eating her fries. She goes like this. And she re- leans past this woman, grabs this guy by the shirt. Never in her life has she ever done this. And like, t- like, like, come here, you know. And I was, like, totally flabbergasted because I've never done anything like that in her life. And I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have no idea why, you know, she just did that. And, and he was very sweet. It was this older man. And he basically um, started to talk to her. And so I kind of jumped in, like, because she looked like a regular four-year-old, like that she would be able to talk back. And so I wanted to explain, oh, I, you know, she can't um, speak back to you. She can't speak. She has, you know, some um, special needs. And so he proceeded to ask me what these special needs were. Now, um, it's kind of a long story, but to cut this long story short, for the whole year, my husband and I had been praying about whether we should take Ava to see. We had Kaiser, and we're like, we should, we should pay for her to see, you know, a, a specialist at UCLA or something. And we, we were like, I don't know, you know, how or who, or, and we were just praying about it. And so that was like a year of praying. And so don't forget the day before I said, look, can you send me someone to encourage me? And then my daughter grabs this man and then come to find out that this man was one of the leading attending um, pediatricians in the country. He taught, taught UCLA doctors and, and um, he proceeds to tell me and I, I tell him, I say how she's a mystery to every doctor. I said, nobody says they've ever met anybody like Ava. I go to physical therapy places with so many special needs kids. Nobody is like Ava. And he says, after he'd given her a full exam in Ikea, the Ikea restaurant, a full exam. <laughs> and um, for free. <laughs> And he asked every question, every test. He, you could tell he knew exactly what he was talking about. And I gave him every answer of every test, everything he'd ever done. And he said, after I said that, I said, nobody's ever seen anyone like Ava. And he said, I've seen thousands of children like your Ava. And I said, you ha-, I almost like immediately started to cry. Because, you, you know, when you use like a, a looking for an answer to something and nobody has it. And you just think, oh, are you going to tell me, you know, the answer? And so um, he 
basically, you know, one of the things is like, oh, does she have autism because she struggles to keep eye contact? And so that was always a worry of mine, but she'd never been diagnosed with it. And he said, well, I'll tell you right now that she's not autistic. And he says, why? And I'm, you know, I was like, okay, one thing. And, he, and I tell you that she doesn't have this, this, and this because of why. And he, and he goes through all these different situations. And he says, you know, she's one of those children that we just call those mysteries and, and that it's going to be very, very slow going for you. She said, but by the time she's nine, you'll see that she's going to be okay. And I, and I would say, really? I said, really? And then he would say, but you have to be patient. And he must have said to me that you have to be patient maybe four or five times. And then he walked away. This is, I'm summarizing this hour-long conversation we had. And he walked away and he said, but don't forget, you have to be patient. So he's telling me that by eight, nine, like at the age nine, that we would see this, this change. And so there was something in my husband and I's spirit where we just felt like that was the person I asked the Lord to send to me. I said, my daughter, who doesn't grab anyone, grabbed him. Like in Ikea, they hadn't even shopped. They lived in San Diego and they weren't even shopping for, at Ikea. They, who eats at the restaurant in Ikea? Like nobody does that. <laughs> Except when the Lord wants you to. <laughs> and so the Lord greatly encouraged me and gave me this hope that the Lord, that she was going to be okay in the end. And then six months go by and we don't see any difference or any change. And, you know, doubt sets in and maybe that wasn't from the Lord. Or maybe I was just, you know, so wanting something that I was, you know, I, I just start to doubt and, and question myself. And I'm driving home from therapy once again, every day. And um, I get home and my mom FaceTimes me. And she says, Ruth, you are not going to believe this. And I said, what? And she's like, do you remember this couple? And she starts telling me about this couple who were in our church that we were at before they moved to Wales to plant the church. And he said, yeah, I remember how we just didn't know too much about them? Because in England, everyone's very private and you don't ask questions. So you only get what people offer up to tell you, you know. And I find that gets me in trouble here because people think I don't care when I don't ask. And I'm like, but no, I don't pry, you know. So I try to figure that whole cultural thing out. But anyway, so we didn't really know these two people all that well. Only the fact that he was... We lived in South England. It's a very, very, you know, wealthy area. Everyone is very intelligent, academic, like, you know, well-paid jobs. And we just knew that he was, you know, one of those kind of guys. And so um, my mum and dad, my dad used to sit on a board of a charity and there was a, um, an event going on, like their 30th anniversary or something. And so they drove down for it and they met this couple that they hadn't seen for so long. And, and the guy, Branko, he's originally from South Africa, called Branko, says to my mum, oh, how's Ruth doing? I heard she moved to America. And so my mum starts to tell him and, and for some reason, which she never would do this, but she, she said, I felt like the Lord said, tell him the Ikea story. And she's like, why would I tell him the Ikea story? Anyway, so she just brings up Ava and she starts telling him the Ikea story. And this man who is a very well-to-do, very wealthy Englishman, which means no, zero emotion in any public arena, starts to well up with tears. And my mom's thinking, why, you know, why is he welling up with tears? And it was, my, it was when my mum said the part of the story where the doctor had told me 
that you just need to wait and be patient. He said, you could do all these therapies, but in the end, she's, she's just going to get there on her own. You need to be patient. And um, he started welling up with tears. And my mom said, you know, I'm so sorry. Did I, did I see something wrong or something? And he said, Julie, he's like, you need to call Ruth and tell her that that man was sent from God for her to encourage her. And what he said is from the Lord. And I had just been thinking, Lord, is this from you? And, um, and my mom's thinking, okay. But then she's thinking, why is he, you know, how does he know that? Why, you know, why is he saying that? And he starts to tell her, he said, do you know, he, he literally asks my mom the question, do you know why or how I know that? And he, she said, no, I was just, you know, thinking that in my mind. And he said, because I was Ava. And my mom says, What? This very articulate, very intelligent, wealthy, 80-year-old man right now in front of us says that he was Ava. And he tells my mom the story that when he was a child in South Africa, um, when he was born and he just wasn't developing, the doctors did all these tests on him and they said nothing's wrong, but you know, he's most likely going to be a vegetable his whole life. And um, they told his mom to put him in an institution. And she wouldn't. And she got, took him and went to England. And that's where he grew up. And um, he said, I was five and I couldn't walk or talk and nobody knew why. And he said, and all I can say is that um, when that doctor said, nobody knows what's wrong, but you just need to be patient. She'll get there on her own. He said, that's what it was for me. So my mom rings me up and tells me this story. I said, mom, I was just asking the Lord, you know, was that from him? And you know how the Lord often promises things or shows us things and then we begin to question ourselves or, you know, did we really hear right? And so this kind of embarked the journey. My daughter's eight now, so this is at four. Over these last four years where the Lord has taken my husband and I on this journey of faith where he has taught us, and that's another message in itself, but so much about faith through my doubting and through my lack of faith, the Lord has shown me what faith really is. And I wanted to read a couple little excerpts from my journal that I wrote. Um, usually don't like to be vulnerable in front of people, but um, you guys are all women. And um, I think that it really demonstrates, which is what my purpose is tonight, of how God's word is, is our encourager and our comfort and our strength when we have these difficult times. And this one night, I was feeling really discouraged, and Ava was probably about five or six, probably about five about this point in time, and it had been a really hard day, and I was going to bed exhausted, and I think it was my sister-in-law that texted me something, and I said, I'm so tired, I'm just going to go to bed, and she mentioned something about reading, like, had you read yet? And normally, like, I like to do my main devotion at night, because the mornings are so crazy. And I said, no, I said, I'm just so exhausted, I'm going to go and pray. I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm not going to pray. <laughs> and um, it was something she said that was like, sat with me, I'm like, oh, I'm like I, I need to read, I need to read the Bible. And I thought, I'm so exhausted, it was so late, because, you know, she, even though my daughter started sleeping through the night, it was few and far between. And so I was so tired, and um, I just thought, oh, well, I'll just read the scripture of the day. I read the scripture of the day. And all day, when it was so difficult, I was mulling over the fact that I had heard 
the Lord wrong and that he didn't promise me that. I, I, what was I thinking? And no matter these two amazing, miraculous stories, what was I thinking? That's, that's in my mind. And the scripture of the day was this, Hebrews 10, 35 through 36. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, because I was so confident that that was a miracle of God and it was just dwindling. And I said, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And I was like, oh, the promise? You have need of endurance? And I was like, oh, Lord, I'm in this season where I need endurance. It's not time for me to receive the promise. And time goes by, you know, and the Lord's showing me things and I could spend all day, you know, sharing with you the things that he was showing me and teaching me, but and I would have moments of great faith and then I have moments of great doubting. And this one day, um, the Lord had repeated these scriptures to me and I don't have time to read them all to you, but the, the main scriptures were that Hebrew scripture that I just read to you. And the one in Corinthians where it was, in Thessalonians, where it said, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Because I would be praying, I'd be like, Lord, did I hear you wrong? Show me if I heard you wrong. Like, and I would pick up my Bible and it would be, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And he would give me those same scriptures over and over again. And then this one day, it was more recently, probably, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And... Um, Again, it was, Ava had had these um, uh, dislocated ankles and no one had realized and PT was trying to make her walk and, and I just, it was awful and I took her to, we flew to Phoenix, which was horrendous in itself because Ava started having these anxiety attacks and she was just having a panic attack on the plane and vomiting everywhere. It was awful. But when we got to see this doctor, he's, he showed us basically how her ankles were both dislocated. And he fixed them, and, and I was just heavy-hearted over it, you know? And I was sitting, I can picture it now, sitting in my room, and I was like, have you guys heard of the Daily Light devotional, you know, Anne Graham Lotz, where it's just pure scripture? And anytime I'm in a hurry or I can't find my Bible, and I think at this point in time I left my Bible in the car from church or something, and I was like in the bathroom and I was like oh well let me I just finished getting ready and I said let me just sit down and let me grab my daily light and I was flipping I was like what date is it today what date is it today and it was I can't remember what month it was but I was like why don't I just read Ava's birthday I was like I'm just gonna read Ava's birthday because I was so heavy-hearted about Ava and I've had this daily light for years I read it all the time like constantly just constantly have it and I open up to her birthday and this is what it said on her birthday. The three scriptures the Lord says to me over and over over the last four years were all in the scripture on her birthday. And I almost like died. <laughs> because God's sovereignty blows my mind, you know? It blows my mind. And this is what it said, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what I didn't share with you was I would have these bouts where I would be so fearful of the future. You know, what if this and what if that? And I would get so gripped by fear. 
every single time, no matter what I was reading in like my three minutes with Charles Spurgeon or, you know, my daily life, whatever it was, I would pick it up and it would be that scripture. Fear not for I am with you. And how it just peace would come and it would fill the place of the fear. And so that was a very precious scripture to me that was just in my mind constantly when I was afraid. Fear not for I'm with you. And here it was right here. And then it says, the testing of your faith produces patience. And that was another big word because the number, let me share this with you. Because the number, I haven't shared this with anyone. There's so much I am like, I don't know what I want to share. <laughs> but there was this, we looked up this number Nine. I said, why does the Lord keep saying this number nine? Like when Ava's nine, what is it about nine? I was like, I wonder what, you know, the number nine means. And it's always going in my mind about how this doctor said, I have to be patient. And listen to, listen to this. This is what the biblical number nine means. I'm trying to find it. I wasn't going to share this, but I just decided to. <laughs> I, just, I keep my journal on my phone so much because I find it hard to sit and write now. So anytime the Lord shows me anything, I just pull out my notes and I screenshot the scripture and I you know, write about it. And so this number nine... The number nine is used to define the perfect movement of God. The biblical number nine is a number of patience. And I was like, Lord, I was like, you keep saying I need this patience. And then on this verse of the day, it says, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. And then here it was when I nearly fell off my chair. Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. On Ava's birthday, the three verses the Lord gives me over and over again. And you know, I share those things because the word of God that he gave me when I had all sorts of deep struggles and emotions. It was the word of God that gave me the hope and lifted me out of that discouragement and sorrow and fear. And had I not turned to God's word and I just tried to distract myself or, you know, turn to friends for their, you know, best advice or whatever it may be, I could have missed out on those incredible promises that the Lord would give to me. And not only would it prove to me his faithfulness, but to anybody that he is the story of Ava. And so I wanted to read the scripture to you, Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And God's word has been that light in the dark, dark times. When you don't know where to turn or where do I go or what do I do? Open your Bible. It's the light to your path. And when you're gripped with fear, open your Bible the Lord can give you peace in that fear. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. The verse that the Lord has given me so much. Do not be dismayed, which means don't feel concerned or distressed. And I felt like if I could describe myself, I was so concerned and I was so distressed. He said, don't be, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that I love about courage, and it says this. Courage is not simply one of the virtues. You think, I'll be courageous and joyful or whatever. It's not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at 
its testing point. So many times over the last eight years, I've been brought to that testing point in many, many areas, in my patience as I wait for the Lord to fulfill his promise, and yet my faith has grown so much. Or in my joy as I've experienced deep sorrow, and you're at that testing point, and yet I've seen so much of the goodness of the Lord and how he cares for me and how he has the grace to continually tell me over and over again the same thing because I'm so doubting, but he's so gracious. And then in my peace, when I feel like my peace has been robbed and I'm fearful, the Lord fills my heart with his peace because courage is when we've reached that testing point in every area. And the Lord allows us to get to those testing points, doesn't he? So that true courage from him can begin in our lives. Courage isn't not having natural fears or emotions in difficult situations because we all have those. They come, they're our flesh, we're human. But it's standing on the word of God, remaining in him, remember, being bound to him and receiving the strength from him to endure because a lot of this life is about endurance and it's about waiting. But remember what it says, that process that process of us being bound to him is a purification process. It's a sanctification process. And I had this scripture, and Michelle already shared it, of Job 42.4, because it's just one of those incredible, incredible verses. Because Job was considered one of the most righteous, or was the most righteous man on the earth at the time, before he was afflicted with all that he was um, in his path, with health, sickness, death. He was already considered the most righteous man. And yet he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. We can all be Christians studying the word and and wanting to know more about him and we know him. But when we go through these things, it's then that we can truly say that we know him. That Greek word know is, you know, gnosko. It's to know by experience. And so much of this life is experiencing difficulties and trials or walking with others as they experience difficulty and trials. But in it, the Lord is making us more like him and we will feel that much nearer, so near to the Lord in our difficulties. You know, Joshua's courage, when he trusted on God's word and he went out, led him to victory. And the victory was miraculous, wasn't it? The walls coming down because they walked around, it was miraculous. And God's miraculous glory and power was demonstrated to everybody because Joshua was courageous and stood on God's word and stepped out in faith. You remember the story of Gideon when he was told to go fight the Midianite army of like a hundred and something plus thousand people and he was told to go with just 300 men. And Gideon, who's this great warrior, was afraid And I love Gideon for the reason that he asked the Lord many times, can you just confirm that you told me to do that? Can you just confirm that you told me to do that? And I was like, even Gideon was like me, you know? And it gives me great, great comfort. Um, But Gideon was strengthened by the word of God. He went out to battle courageously with his 300 men as he'd been commanded to, and the Lord gave him the victory against all the odds, once again displaying to the world the miraculous glory and power of the Lord. And let me ask you here tonight, 
what is the Jericho that you're facing? Or what are the walls that need to come down in your life? Or maybe it feels like you have a Midianite army coming against you and, and it just seems impossible that you can't fight your way out, let alone make it out victoriously. Be encouraged because the Lord will be your strength. He will give you the courage you need. And not only will he see you through to the other side, but he can and he will do the miraculous on your behalf. I want to say, do we believe that? Do we believe that God does the miraculous in and through our lives? And it's all for his glory. It's not because we did it. I feel like so much with Ava, we've tried everything in the world from diet to, you know, changing this and different medications and, and everything that we could think of. And the Lord just kept saying in my mind, this one time I was thinking it and my husband spoke it at the exact same time. He said, I think the Lord just said that nothing we do in and of ourselves is going to help Ava. It's going to be a miraculous work of the Lord. And as he said the words, I was thinking the words. And it was a time that we'd just done something that was, we thought was going to help her and it ended up being really traumatic. And we both had felt like the Lord is going to be the one that gets the glory. And I'll close with this last story because um, when Ava was seven, um, the Lord had spoken to us about this Elijah. I remember when he prayed for rain, and on the seventh day, um, there was this little tiny cloud, and it was like this glimmer of hope. But there was definitely not rain clouds, but the rain did come. And the Lord spoke to me about that, about the seventh, you know, Ava being seven, and, oh, Lord, I, I just need that little cloud, like that little glimmer of hope that you are going to do a miracle in her life. And... Um, this one night I'm praying and she takes medicine still for reflux and um, she it tried to get off it so many times and because it has neurological side effects, it's just not good to be on. And so it's really hard to wean off because of the side effects that you get from it. It's a long story. But long story short, um, we've tried to wean her off it for years and we get down from five mils down to 0.2. You have to go down for a week point two for a week and we would get down to four and she'd be back to screaming waking up at night and we just couldn't get off of it and this one weekend um we didn't have our medicine we hadn't called it in in time for the pharmacy it had closed earlier that day and she was going to be without it for the weekend and um it kind of wears off after three days and it kind of comes back with a vengeance after that and so I was worried and I was like, we're not going to have this medicine and she's going to be in so much pain. And like the Lord put it in my mind, like ask me to heal her of a reflux. And so I did and I prayed. And you know how the Lord talks about giving a gift of faith and a measure of faith. And for me, I don't describe myself as a woman of great faith. But in that moment, I felt like the Lord gave me the faith that I needed to believe that that was from him and that he was going to heal Ava of a reflux. And so my husband came home and I said, babe, I was like, you know, we don't have the medicine. I was like, this is, sounds crazy. Sounds crazy. But I don't think we should order the medicine. I said, I truly believe that the Lord just told me he was going to heal her of her reflux. And there's no way of knowing if she was healed of her reflux until I didn't give her a medicine and she was in agony. And so for me, normally I'd be like, oh, we should just give it to her in case. But I just felt like for that minute, the Lord had said, giving me that faith, I knew she was healed of her reflux. And so three days went by, four days went by, a week went by, two weeks went by, and I called her doctor and I said, 
Ava hasn't had reflux medicine for two weeks. I said, could she still, you know, be, you know, hanging on from previous medicine, or would we know by now if, you know, she was having reflux? And the dog goes, two weeks? She said, oh my goodness, she never needs reflux medicine again. And I said, we didn't even wean her off. You're supposed to wean off onto another medication to wean off of that medication. She had no rebound effect. She had nothing. And she hasn't taken any medicine for probably seven or eight months now. And that was a miracle. It was a miracle. And I said, Lord, she's seven. I said, that's that cloud. I said, for, for other people, they can't see it. So, but for those that live with her day in and day out and, you know, have to give her this medicine and know the side effects and know how she reacts without it, it's like, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And the Lord gave me that miracle in her seventh year of life to hold on because he's so good like that, because he's a good God. And if I could leave you with anything today, it would be that you would know that the word of God is your lifeline. It's your food, your spiritual food. You can't live the spiritual life without it. And with TV and Netflix and Hulu, and we're so distracted and so much to do and Facebook, the Bible just kind of gets pushed aside. And we get to church on Sunday, and and you haven't read it since the last Sunday. I wonder how much God wants to speak to you, to give the promises he wants to give you, the testimony he wants to give you from his word. And he wants to speak to you from his word. So I pray that you would love his word, that you would find that it's your strength and your courage when you don't feel courageous, but you are because you stand on the promises of God. That's my prayer for you today. I'll leave you with this verse. It says, Psalms 29, 14 says, wait on the Lord. I love that song. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. The waiting is so hard, but so much is done in the waiting. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you have not left us here alone, Lord. You've given us your Holy Spirit that lives in us, that empowers us, that gives us the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. And you've given us your word to be that lamp to our feet and that light on our path. Lord, I pray that we would be women who love your word, I pray that you would speak to us through your word daily. Lord, I pray that we would, we would truly use it as our lifeline. And that, God, we would see in this congregation here of women, we would see the miraculous, that your great power would be demonstrated through the lives of these women, that it would be a great witness to all those in this world around them, Lord. I pray they would have boldness in sharing these testimonies of, of the work that you've done in their lives. And that, Lord, we would see many, many people come to know you in these last days. Lord, help us, bless us, give us the strength and the courage that we need. And thank you so much for this time together and these amazing women that have shared such incredible stories. And we just thank you, all thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness. You're so faithful. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.